This is Kevin Evans with the chapter by chapter live class with Crossroads Assembly of God Greenville. <clears throat> and we are currently studying the book of Matthew, <clears throat> chapter 20. And uh, in the last two or three chapters, uh, Matthew, well, Matthew has been recording Christ uh, in his last final days and teachings before he enters Jerusalem and uh, to begin the Passion Play. Uh, he is making uh, final teachings to his apostles, and uh, he performs several miracles, and he's been hanging around uh, Galilee. Now, in chapter 19, he travels from Galilee down into Judea, around Jerusalem, and down the Sea of J Jordan, down to uh, almost to the Dead Sea. So he's, kind of, he's still out in the country, and he's still traveling, but he's kind of circumvented around Jerusalem. And uh, in, in chapter 19, he is in um, uh, ba -da, ba -da, ba -da, ba -da. Jericho. Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho, right, which is just south of Jerusalem, and it's more toward the border. If you come in from uh, Saudi Arabia to go to Jerusalem, you basically have to go through Jericho because there is a big Dead Sea in one side and a nasty lake in the other, you know, so, so you have to go through there. Uh, in any case, he's kind of at the doorway of Jerusalem, and it's also... Uh, it, it, it's still kind of rural. There's a whole lot of uh, country folk here. He is still trying to address the people. So, uh, in the last lesson, ch chapter 20 is a direct extension of chapter 19. It's basically the same chapter, but it's just broken in two. And uh, the disciples, uh, uh, Christ just gave the, message, the, the lesson of how uh, it, it's easier for a, rich, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man enter heaven. And uh, that upset all of the apostles because if so, then how, how are we, any of us going to get into heaven? Because I guess it depends on how you define rich, you know. And uh, he reassures them. But he says that the last will be first and uh, many, uh, or the first will be last. And then he extends that with the parable in chapter 20. So he's still giving that same lesson with the last will be first and the first will be last. <clears throat> for the kingdom of heaven, and this is chapter 20 verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go out and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again into the sixth, uh, uh, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who are hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when, they came, so when those who came who were hired first they expected to receive more. 
but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have been borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I give the right, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. You want to see something? I don't know. I kind of see the workman's point here. Yeah, like, I was. Like as you know, I define my own personality as being cynical and offended. So I kind of, I kind of understand why they would feel that way. Uh, what is Jesus teaching us? First of all, I think I think the the, the metaphor is pretty straightforward. Uh, just to go into some of the 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 language, the sixth hour is about noon. And so he hires a bunch of folks in the morning, and they're putting in, we're assuming, an 8 to 10-hour day. Uh, evidently, they did not stay until dark, which is how things work in Texas. But uh, they would they knock off about 6 o'clock in the afternoon, or, or evening, is when, when you let the workers go home. Uh, so at, at the 6th hour, uh, they've been um, at it probably 4 hours. Uh, he is trying to bring in a, all of his crops at once, and there's obviously a time element, which is often the case in agriculture, and uh, he want, doesn't want to leave anything out in the field. Maybe we've got a freeze coming. Maybe there's rain coming, because you don't want to cut your hay just before the rain, because then you lose everything, you know? Uh, so it's that kind of an issue. So uh, I've seen farmers go into this kind of a panic. How can we possibly get this done before dark? Uh, so at noon, he goes back into town where they, uh, you know, hire workers. Uh, and there's more people standing around not working. So he hires them too because he needs more crew. Well, the panic continues. They're, they haven't gotten all the grapes in at three o'clock, so he goes back at three o'clock, and then he goes back at five o'clock, an hour before quitting time, and he's still hiring workers to come in and put in some extra hands. He is very intent on bringing folks in. Now he's offered them a denarius, which is the equivalent of a day's wage, and I'm not sure how that, how that translates I, I think it's like $80. Isn't that about right? Something like that. Uh, we'll say it's 80 bucks. So uh, the guys at the beginning agree to $80, and that's a fair wage. But he pays the same thing to everybody else, and you've got one group of guys that only worked one hour, and they also drew the 80 bucks. And notice he paid them first. And we get down to the folks that have been in the field all day, they get paid last, and they get the same thing. But wait, it's the agreed upon amount. 
does it ma matter to me what everyone else gets paid? If my deal, if I made a deal with my employer, that's between me and my employer, what the deal that he makes with everybody else should really not be my business, <coughs> you know? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, everybody has a problem with that. Yeah, I understand the issue, because I don't feel like your value is being respected. But what's Jesus trying to say? Hmm. It's a lesson. It's an important lesson. Yeah. It's not about work. I think if, it, if this were all about work, it might be a different answer. If it were about justice, it might be a different answer. That's not what Christ is teaching. Christ is teaching how reward works in the spiritual world. It's not the physical world. And basically, we are rewarded. Now, this is salvation. We are rewarded in heaven for being obedient. We are awarded, rewarded in heaven for doing what God asked us to do. We are not rewarded in heaven for the amount of time that we put in doing it. We are not rewarded in heaven for the quality of our work. So if I am called to take care of my father-in-law. <laughs> I, I refuse to explain that, Internet. Uh, and I spend all of my time, I don't know, uh, edifying the kingdom of God by writing pamphlets. And I write some awesome, convincing, wonderful pamphlets to convince people to enter the kingdom of God. That's not what God asked me to do. God wants me to take care of my father-in-law. Should God reward me for all of that effort that I put into making my pamphlets? The answer, according to this, is no. God isn't going to reward us for our own efforts or for our own desire. quality, our own desires, for following our own nose. Uh, sure, uh, it's about being obedient to his will. And he'll reward people based upon how much they, how they obey. Yes, and, and it's an individual thing. So... Uh, if God gives more to one of us and not to another of us, that's God's business, yeah. you know, and, and that's kind of the point. And he tells this story to his disciples who are all jockeying for position because they know that Christ is coming into his kingdom. We're finally going into Jerusalem. We're finally going to challenge the uh, uh, Sanhedrin. And we're going to, and the new Messiah is going to arise and control the Jewish nation. And then we're going to crush the Romans. And then we're going to crush the Syrians. And John is going to be governor of Syria. That's what they're thinking. Yeah, or rule the nation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the prophecy is that the Messiah is going to bring the Jews to a, a state of world domination. And so these, these disciples 
who are following him are following him because they want to hook to his coattails and be part of that. They want to rise. You know, how do you, if you're, a, if you're a disciple of Christ and you have to go home and talk to the wife and the parents and the business partner and say, look, I'm going to have to abandon my duties to family and business for the next three years or so. You guys cool with that? Do you think they're going to be cool with that? No. But what if you say, I need to go follow this guy around because he's the Messiah and I want to be part of his entourage when we kick the Romans' butts out of town? And then Daddy's going to go, oh, you go, son. You go. <laughs> You're going to make us all rich. You, you just go on. Yeah. They see potential value in, in, in their discipleship to Christ. Now, I think the disciples are starting to get it. They're starting to understand that that's not exactly the role that he's playing and that they need to, you know, that they're, 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 they're grasping this. And the message in the last two or three chapters has all had to do with how they need, they need to be servants to people. They're not going to be the rulers. And, and they're all jockeying for who's going to be bigger than the next guy. And... Um, and, and Christ is making that point. So that brings us to their walking out of Jericho. <clears throat> so Matthew tells us in verse 17, Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. He's referring to himself in the third person. However, they know that he is referring to himself as the Son of Man. There is nothing ambiguous in here. This is not a metaphor. He's looking them straight in the eye and saying, dude, here's what's going to happen in the next week. Write this down. You know, they're going to arrest me. They're going to kill me. Hang tight. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. And they're all nodding their head, just like Andrew is now. <laughs> and they still don't quite get it. <laughs> I think maybe they were a little dense. Do you think maybe they were probably? A dense? I mean, because you got this preconceived notion of what yeah. what Christ should be, yeah. and what's about to happen, he, and, and, world, yeah, world. and they're going, okay, well, and, and, and I'm sure they're sitting there thinking, okay, you're going to die, yeah. you're going to come back to life, and then are you going to become king of the whole world and make me? When, when, when do I become governor? That's yeah. what they're thinking. Yeah, That's it's probably it's basically they expect like him to. Uh, the Messiah to rise up and become this powerful warrior and sure, conqueror. Sure. So he gives them this specific play-by-play. -play. And, and then we have this scene, which I think is hilarious. Because maybe James and John kind of get it, but evidently their mama doesn't. <laughs> And her mama, even James and John live somewhere around Jericho. Well, no, no, they're from Galilee. 
I don't know. Evidently, Mama Zebedee's wife was traveling with them. She is in the horde of people. So, verse 20, when the mother of Zebedee's sons, which is James and John's mother, came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down and asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right and left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom you have been prepared for my, by my father. Then the ten heard about this. They were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be, be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. <clears throat> well. Okay. It's been a few years ago, but I once had a little five-year-old who wanted to play t-ball. Uh. Okay. So uh, I took Clay out to a t-ball team. And with, with five-year-olds, uh, mostly they're there just for the IC at the end. You know, uh, there's not a lot of sportsmanship. And uh, just going through the motions of playing on the team is kind of part of it. But as far as it being competitive, that's kind of silly. However, the coach of the t-ball team didn't really see it that way. And he saw all these five-year-olds as being, you know, his, his break into professional sports somehow. And uh, he had a five-year-old son who was kind of, admittedly kind of brawny, you know, and uh, he wanted his son to prove his athleticism, his five-year-old son. And uh, he was having him, uh, oh, what was it? He, he was like the key batter. Um, I'm confusing my teams. He, he ended up making him pitcher. That's not t-ball. It, it's, it's the little softball thing that comes after t-ball. Anyway, he made his son pitcher because that's the key role, you know, and it was all about how great his son was and the rest of us were just there, you know, as field dressing for his son. And I have seen that scene play out in kids' sports over and over and over again, particularly when you have to depend upon parents to coach. You're right. Uh, I've also worked in the school district and I've had kids who were kind of apathetic about things, but mom and dad come in as aggressive parents, dragging their lawyers, forcing things to happen for their children. For instance, one rather troubled student who had all kinds of issues who was in theater. And uh, he tried out for a role in the play. 
And the teacher, out of the goodness of his heart, because he's a good teacher, gave this kid a walk-on role where he delivered one line and stepped off the stage, okay? Because he, he, he was not pivotal. And then for the next three months, that child never once showed up for a practice. Not once. But then he found out the day that the first performance was going to be, and he showed up for the performance with his mother and his mother's lawyer. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Holy crap. So mother, lawyer, and child, the day of the performance, go into the back and uh, force the director to let their, the, the boy go out and deliver his one line, which he botched, and then step off the stage. You know, welcome to American education. Now, I read this mother of Zebedee, and I feel a soccer mom here, Andrew. That's what she is. She wants to see the Messiah put her children in charge of the world, and she's not above going in there and making this happen. Let me go manipulate the coach and make sure that you're the pitcher. I'll fix this, son. He's not going to make you number one. I can fix it. And the kind of I'm going to go bring in my lawyer and intimidate him. I, I don't know if that happened. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of what I was reading on narcissism about narcissistic parents treating their kids like trophies, saying, hey, look at my son being like the pitcher or, or being the head of the team or something like that. I don't know. That just kind of reminds me of that a little yeah. bit. How, what an intellectual answer, Andrew. Wow. I feel, <laughs> I feel kind of intimidated now. You oh. could, <laughs> I think so my dad. You're using big words. Wow. Okay. <laughs> huh. Okay. So I just, Nar narcissistic. Wow. I don't okay. know. Like that, I heard that's how narcissistic parents do with their yeah, children. Right. I, 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 okay. I just call them soccer moms, you know, kind of general, general thing. You think your dad turned out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so Christ again has to emphasize that they needed to debase themselves and serve, not reach for power. God is in control. They are not. It's about God's plan, not theirs. And, and... And, and notice that the other disciples are indignant with the two brothers. Now, I guess this could go two ways. The other disciples are completely uh, uh, in tune with what Christ is teaching, and they've listened to everything he said in the last two chapters, and they understand that this was an inappropriate question, and the brothers should uh, not have asked that question because... They, they know that they all should uh, be serving one another. Do you think that's what happened? Yeah. No, that's not what happened. Yeah, no. they, uh, they, they were jealous because they didn't want James and John to be their boss. How dare you try to get on top of me? Because they, 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 they want the power. Yeah. And I think that's the far more likely answer. They're, 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 they're still not getting it, you know. They feel kind of like I did when the coach's son is always the pitcher. <laughs> you know? Okay. Um, 
So, with this reiteration of Christ's standing and what they're going to have to expect, the disciples are still a little confused and expecting this great, glorious takeover. They head into Jerusalem, and on the way, they are surrounded by the crowds, those wonderful, multitude, uncountable group of people who are trailing him everywhere because he heals everyone he comes by. He, if he walked past Hunt Regional, he would empty the hospital. It's not like it's just this one and that one. It's everybody. Everybody gets healed. If you can get to him, then you get healed. And so that word is out, and so he is hounded by throngs of people everywhere he goes. So as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was coming by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us! And the crowd rebuked them. Why did the crowd rebuke them? suggest because they're a marginalized group probably yes they're beggars and they're on the side of the road and you do not get ahead of me yeah it's like i'm trying to get to jesus you shut up you shut up right now i'm first i'm ahead of you it's kind of like the yes. kid who just cut in front of you yes push you out of the line yes and and because they're marginalized because they're beggars they really don't have the right to jump in front basically so i mean that's kind of how the law works and so uh Everybody's telling him to shut up. We're busy. There's too many people here for him to get to you. He would have done the same thing, though, right? If he was a blind man. If I were the blind, yeah, I'd, I'd holler. Yeah. I also might have been the guy to say, shut up. I'm trying to get ahead of you. You know, if I'm motivated, I would, you're not going to slow me down, Lester. I'll fight you to the death. I would like to say I could take Lester out, but he works out and I don't. So it's, it's very possible that I, I'm a marshmallow. Okay. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Now before, when you had a Gentile woman saying Son of David, he, he told her she didn't have the right to call him that because she wasn't Jewish. But these guys are Jewish and have that right. Jesus stopped and called them, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, there are two blind guys sitting beside the road. Isn't it pretty obvious what they want him to do for them? Maybe they want something else. So don't want to be rich. <laughs> maybe they want a sandwich. Or or heck, maybe maybe they need some type of glasses. I'm just making a joke. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah, anyway. Maybe a glass one, uh, God wants to know what, I th I what, think, do you, what do you want from me? I yeah. think God I think wants us to state that. We yeah. need to define what we want. And I think if they had said, you know, we would like a sandwich and we, we, we like being beggars. We just want you to give us some food. I'm not sure he would have healed them. You know? Mm -hmm. um, we're in charge of our own lives. We have free will. He probably say, that's why you're a beggar for us. Yeah, why, why impose? You know, he's not going to impose upon us. We have to make these decisions. And so, you know, I think that's important. We have to tell God what we want. And if we don't tell God what we want, then he, he knows what we need. Yeah. But we have to ask for it right. because... Otherwise, we're his puppets. 
right? Mm -hmm. Okay, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. They, they gave the correct answer. You know, they, yeah. they, they, had, they, they didn't botch that one. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Bang, bang, bang. It's easy, easy squeezy. So Matthew felt the, the need to add that quick little incident as we're leaving Jericho. And as he reaches Jerusalem uh, in the next chapter, then we have the triumphant entry. And so the Passion Play begins in chapter 21, and we will be starting that next week. It seems like my notes were shockingly thin today. <coughs> but that's everything that I've got, okay. including my rant about soccer moms. Huh? It covered the chapter. Yes, sir. And uh, my rant about narcissistic parents, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much, Andrew, for joining us today. Yes. And uh, goodbye, Internet. 